so welcome back to me, which is lovely. Thank you. I've, um, I've chatted to a couple of people and said, I haven't seen you for ages. And they're like, yeah, I'm so sorry, we've been so. It's like, oh no, it's all good, I haven't been here. It's like, it's, it's, it's no trouble. Hey, good to be with you uh, this morning. The human experience is weird and wonderful, delightful and disorientating all at the same time, but nevertheless, an adventure. Uh, all sorts of things mixed together, existential angst and finite abilities and triumphs and tragedies and brains that tangle themselves up and bodies that give up. Uh, and yet despite that we've, uh, well not me, but we as humans have um, climbed mountains and travelled to the moon and invented gelato and figured out pi to apparently the 60 point, uh, 62 trillion digits. Somebody did that, so good on them. Um, that was maybe somebody when they were having some time out they figured out pi to 62 trillion digits. Yeah, so you know there's twists and turns and highs and lows but most of you would be aware that I've been working through some of the twists and turns rather than the highs in the last a uh, little while, which is fine. Uh, more or less the emotional fatigue that comes with pastoring for 25 years, more or less, and then um, a bit more of that over the last three years. I was talking to one pastor and he said, oh, you do know being a pastor is a repetitive strain injury. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, no, that, that's by definition what it is to be. So, so we've been working our way through that. Uh, in their book, Burnout Doctors and Sisters, um, Emily and Amelia, Nagoski, they describe burnout as emotional fatigue, as um, caring too much for too long. Uh, they talk about depersonalization, the depletion of empathy and compassion that can come when you're exhausted, and then a decreased sense of accomplishment, an unconquerable sense of futility and that nothing you do seems to make a difference. And I'm vulnerable enough to know, yeah, I've been feeling some of those things and uh, working my way through those things. Doing a lot better, but still have a ways to go as well. Uh, certainly it's an invitation to grow and to learn and then you add in just a plate full of generalized anxiety just to round that combo off and it's delicious but uh, we're getting there and i'm doing a lot better um, still a ways to go an invitation for me to rethink how i think some things and carry some things and navigate things and how we organize some things at church so we'll figure that out uh, but it's good to be with you this morning i know the experience is not unique to me many of you have been through seasons similar to that as well invitation to grow. Um, when I finished my doctorate, lots of people asked me, what am I going to do now? You know, now that you've done your doctorate, what are you going to do? Like, it's like, I don't know. And like people more and more ask this. So I sit down, what am I going to do that, now that I've finished my doctorate? I know another doctorate. No, I was like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? And uh, the answer was nothing. But in a moment of inspiration, I ended up writing a poem called Slow Pasta. And uh, it, seemed to, it seemed to resonate with people. Uh, this time around with lots of lovely people asking me how I'm going and what are you up to and how are you going, how are you doing? Uh, in another moment of inspiration, I ended up penning uh, a poem as well. Uh, it's entitled Limping Pasta. And uh, it goes like this, it goes, Limping Pasta. And that's all I've come up with so far. So, um, we're, we're, um, there's, there's some more to it. So I've got to do some more work on that. So, so I got a clap for both poems, which is amazing, because a lot more work went into the other one than went into that one, if I'm honest. Um, which goes to show, like, really, effort counts for nothing. It's just, uh, uh, if I am to add anything to it, it will be something along the lines of limping congregations. And uh, however we're honest, we're all limping through life in one way or another. 
I think probably all of us have got these areas of life where others would look at us and go, man, I wish I could have it how they've got it in that area. And then you find another area, it's like, but don't give me what they've got over there kind of thing. And I think, yeah, that's, that's the human experience. We kind of limp through life in different ways. And it's an invitation to grow and to turn to the cross and to look to Jesus and to find solidarity with one another. So thank you for your love, your support, um, your prayers. I've appreciated that. Uh, particularly a big thanks to Lisa. Thank you, Lisa, for um, doing so much and stepping in. Appreciated that. Um, a lot of people are like, I didn't know she preached. I didn't know she preached that well. When she, why does she not do most of the preaching? I'm like, look, we're, we're at home, we have those conversations, we're negotiating a changeover. Uh, so no, she's been a huge uh, support and I've really appreciated that. Uh, so grace and peace, lovely to be with you. Thank you for your love, I love you, and I've been in, you've been in my prayers as well. All right, new series, Jesus and his parables. Jesus and his parables. Uh, several weeks ago, I noted that life isn't passive. Life is, I mean, you can try to let life be something that happens to you, but inevitably, you actually have to engage, you have to participate. Life is a theater for action. Uh, even the most intellectual of all people who would love to just camp away in an ivory tower and just think thoughts of whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You, you've, you've got to eat food and you've got to hang out with people and you've got to provide for your family, you've got to do it. So the question becomes for all of us, for all of humanity, how should we live then? In this theater of action, how should we act? How should we behave? How should we engage? What should our perspective be? How should we treat one another? And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways of being in the world. Um, but humans aren't super tolerant. So you can, you can live in a way that's super good for you, but not very good for the people around you or in your house. And after a while, you'll get some feedback that would suggest, don't live like that. That's not good. Uh, you, can do, you can live in some ways that are super good for you now, but pan out not to be very good for you in the future. Uh, one of my favorite little cartoons is uh, Homer Simpson. And he's got a quart of mayonnaise mixed with a quart of vodka. And Marge says to Homer, I don't think that's a good idea. And Homer says, well, that's a problem for future Homer. <laughs> and puts away his, his mayonnaise and vodka. So there's ways of living and being that may appear to be good for us now, but are not good for us in the future. So we're invited to figure out how now shall we live then? And of course, our answer as Christ follows is that we, we want to do our best to live the way of Jesus. That, that's what we're trying to, trying to figure out. We're looking for some sort of anchor point, some sort of model, some sort of sure foundation, some sort of something to look to, because we inevitably as humans do that, consciously or unconsciously. No, no, nobody is this lone ranger who's doing it all for themselves and not learning off others. They've learned from some other supposed Lone Rangers that there's a way of doing it called the Lone Ranger way and they're modeling themselves up. So we're all looking to something, either consciously or unconsciously. We want to be a lot more conscious in what we're looking to. Not, not the latest movies, not Netflix, these kind of things. We want to, we want to frame and live our lives in light of Christ. Uh, we spent uh, 2019 working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the main uh, extended passage of Christ's teaching that we have in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, now we look at the parables. When you put the parables together in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that's really the vast majority of Christ's teaching. There's a few other little bits and pieces, but if you put the Sermon on the Mount and all of the parables together, you, you've kind of got 
got almost all of it. You got the, the real bulk of it. So we're going to look at the sermon. Uh, and we're going to look at the parables over the next little while. Rather than start with a parable, though, I want to place the parables in their larger context in the biblical narrative, in the biblical story. So let me tell you some of the bigger, uh, the biblical story this morning. Scripture is really, if you were to kind of reduce it down to what is the Bible about, you could answer that a few ways. Um, You could answer it that it's about the life of Christ, that everything in the first portion is leading to the life of Christ, summed up in Revelation. You could answer it like that, that would be fair and accurate. Uh, Another way of saying it would be well, that Scripture is God's love story, it's the story of God's love for creation the beginning through to the end to to where it's gone wrong and how it's going to be put together with with Christ as the center of that story uh, would be another way that would be a fair and accurate way of of describing uh, scripture you could you could describe scripture as the the evolving understanding of who God is starting through Abraham Isaac and Jacob and then into the nation of Israel and then into a Gentile context and into the church that takes us through now these stewards to to kind of govern and get, a, get an understanding of who is this God? That, you, that would be a fair way of summing up the story as well. So those are probably the three main ways you could kind of, what's the Bible about? Answer it in kind of one sentence would be something along those lines. If I tell some of the story, uh, fully sufficient and yet overflowing in divine love, Trinity decides to create. There's this this overflow of divine love that that God says, let us invite others into this story to participate, which is what all of us did as married couples. We we sat down one night. We had a a robust conversation about the love that we shared, and we thought, let us have children and invite children into this. Not not like that sometimes. Sometimes it's more like, well, everyone has children. We better have children as well. So, you know, God overflows with love, and, and the conclusion is, this compulsion to create, to invite others to be a part of this divine love and creates the heavens and the earth. The universe establishes God's great cosmic temple, all of God's creation, his dwelling place. Talks about the heavens are his throne, the earth is his footstool. Uh, Sam mentioned it last week, but unique within creation, we have humanity created as God's image bearers, God's icons, literally idols, not in the false idols kind of sense, but created as the ones to represent what God's like. And the way that we treat one another and love one another and care for one another, we are to be representatives of God in this great cosmic temple. We're to be those that bring the faithful worship of creation back to From a garden of delight, Eden means delight, garden of delight, garden of Eden. From this garden of delight, there's to be a fruitfulness that goes forth and multiplies, that the garden would grow and expand to fill all of creation. Not that the boundaries would be in place guarded by an angel, but that the boundaries would expand and increase. So another way of talking about the big story, it's the story of the garden to the city. It's another way of talking about that story. It's the garden of Eden that becomes the city of the new Jerusalem. What's a city? Now, we could think of city as a concrete urban jungle with graffiti and things like that. But in terms of the theological metaphor, the idea is that you build the garden, build the garden, add more gardens to the garden. The garden spreads out eventually. The garden is a city, the dwelling place of many, and, and, and it expands out like that. So that's the, the kind of arc of the story is this garden to this city. There's a moment in Genesis, though, this great disruption. Humanity falls short and misses the mark. 
of thorns and thistles and great toil. Uh, humanity starts to work, worship aspects of creation. Now, the easiest way to illustrate that is to use money as an example. Uh, humans start to worship money, put so much trust in money, and enough people start to do that that it takes on a life of its own and becomes this false, false god that begins to influence all of how we live our lives. It rules and reigns over us. It's the, there's many false gods. That's an easy one to illustrate. We need money, some way of trading and doing these different things. But when we're elevated above its place in creation, it takes on its own power. When enough people do that, it gets a life of its own. So we have thorns and thistles and principalities and powers. God does not abandon creation. God engages and comes alongside. God works through and with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, establishes the nation of Israel. God works through and with and alongside judges and kings and prophets to, to, to move this story forward, to, to keep this garden to a city project unfolding. Then most significantly, God comes in the flesh. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. God enters into the human story to walk alongside, to heal and redeem and to teach and to, to model what it is to be the faithful representative of God. That's what, that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the image bearer that does not fall short. Every step of the way, he, he, he models to the world around what it is to be a representative of God. He's the true icon of God that we're called to model, faithful even unto death. He's the faithful worshiper of God who, who, who is, is faithful to God in all things. So the garden to the city project carries on. There is the tears of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. The Thursday night of Holy Week, there's the betrayal, there's the tears, there's the sweating of blood. And it appears that the project is about to be derailed, coming to a tragic end. It appears more so on Friday when we have this execution, this death on Saturday where there's a, there's a grayness and a hopelessness. Come Sunday, though, with Mary's encounter with Jesus in the Garden of the Tombs. We have the risen gardener who through his death and resurrection tends and cultivates the well-being of all creation. These images, Mary seeing Jesus and supposing Christ to be the gardener in the garden of tombs, is not, these are not accidents. This is, there's, this, there's this divine story unfolding. He opens the door to fullness of life. The risen gardener, this divine caretaker of all creation, though, is also the king of of kings it's a different metaphor to the one of the garden to the city in the gardener we can talk about now the king and the establishment of a kingdom different metaphor same idea king of kings the lord of lords The divine caretaking that is unfolding, uh, unfolding the, the cultivation of a garden to a city of Eden to Ju New Jerusalem. Another way of talking about that is to talk about the establishment of the mystery of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God permeating throughout all of creation, breaking out. Yeast that causes bread to rise is one description. That's it. Now we've got a different metaphor. Hang on, we've got the garden to the city with a king that is a kingdom, and yet, and how does that work? It works like yeast beneath the surface that causes it to rise. We'll, we'll unpack some of these to affect everything. This is the great mystery of the kingdom of God that Jesus refers to in Matthew, uh, in Mark 4, verse 11. 
Oh, that sounds like good news. That sounds like good news. On a dark and stormy night, we've had plenty of that. Uh, that sounds like possibility in the, the midst of impossibility, and we've had plenty of that. Tell me more. Tell, tell me more. Certainly, I'm going to tell you more in the series. I want to tell you more. Jesus talks about the kingdom again and again and again. So let us look at the kingdom again and again and again. He says it's over there. He says, though, it isn't over there and it's not over there. And don't look for it down there, though. You, you've got to realize it's within you and among you. It's within you and among you. Oh, unpack that a little bit. Oh, okay, well, it's within you and it's among you. Well, it's like a man that casts a net. What? <laughs> Jesus, this is, not, this is not super helpful. There's garden to a city and there's a king and there's a kingdom and it's like yeast and, and it's within us and among us but not over there and there. It's like, can you explain that? Okay, sure. It's like a man that casts a net. No, Jesus, you're not really, you're not giving us the clarity that we're looking for. It seems that Jesus unpacks the mystery of the kingdom of God with parables and stories rather than with whiteboards. Uh, with metaphors and illustrations and illusions rather than progress reports, KPIs, timelines, and maps. Just a map would be helpful. Doesn't really do a good job of explaining it like we would like him to explain it. Metaphors and stories and illustrations and illusions rather than a whiteboard and a map. Makes it a mystery. The kingdom of God, there's a peculiarity to it it's upside down and back to front it's not easily grasped it's not something easily comprehended by plausibility loving minds mostly we're kind of rational plausible type people in this modern world well, it's tricky to get your head around it there's a mystery to it like the cross that sits at the heart of the kingdom, the kingdom itself is a, it's foolishness to the Greeks. It, it's an offense to the Jews. It doesn't look like what they want it to look like. It doesn't behave like they want it to behave. It's so unlike the kingdoms and the empires that they are familiar with. Jew, Jewish history knows Assyria and Babylon and Persia and the Greeks and the Roman Empire. The expectation is that the kingdom of God will be like that, but it'll be Jesus instead of Caesar. And we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, but, you know, a couple of the disciples are like, when your kingdom comes into its power, and they're imagining, you know, stairs up to a, a great hall with pillars and a throne that's even further elevated up. Can we sit on the left and the right? She's like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. The kingdom's not like that. It's not like that. It's not a kingdom ruled by the might of a sword, but by the power of co-suffering sacrificial love. It's not ruled with a sword. Its power is found in co-suffering sacrificial love. The king being one who lays down his life, gives his life as a ransom for many. The one who is in very nature God, but empties himself of that, let goes of that you could, you could say divorce isn't quite the right word but you could say divorces himself from that divine that doesn't doesn't walk in that walks in his humanity it's a kingdom where the military parade is a one man on a donkey where power is displayed in weakness where the hero is the victim the hero of the story is the number one victim in the story story we're experiencing the vindication of resurrection life the risen king doesn't haunt his oppressors as the original john wick 
I would do that. I would haunt my oppressors, as John Wick. They killed his dog. They better look out. Rather, the, the, the vindicated King of Kings comes back and says, you'll be known by your love for one another. He's like, no, we'll be known for being awesome, like Keanu Reeves and John Wick. I'm not recommending that movie. Some of you will go home and watch that and be like, oh dear. <laughs> Can you just rewind and delete that? The other side of his great victory, Jesus says, no, no, love your neighbor, love your enemies. You'll be known for your love for one another. That's back to front and upside down and complicated. It's not easy to make sense of. It's not plausible from the perspective of the world. Just setting you up for the parables that are going to be unfolding in coming weeks. In Luke 18, with the parable of the widow and the judge, uh, with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, we've got Jesus talking about the kingdom is for such as these, as the children, make space for them. Uh, we've got the story of the rich young ruler who can't bring himself to part from his great wealth, and goes away very disappointing, uh, disappointed. Uh, we've got Jesus talking about his impending death. And then in verse uh, 34, it says, the disciples did not understand any of this. They couldn't figure out what Jesus was talking about. How awesome is that? The disciples couldn't understand any of that and couldn't figure out what Jesus was talking about. That's how upside down and back to front it is. And it's so easy for us 2,000 years later to suppose that oh, we know what it means kind of thing. Well, we're going to explore the parables and discover if it does mean what we thought it meant or if it didn't. And if it does... Are we living in the light of that? Are we allowing that to shape our lives? Because part of our faith and trust in Jesus is not simply your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but in all circumstances, in all situations, trusting that his kingdom is coming and his will is being done in all circumstances and situations. That life can be found in the midst of death. That light can be found in the midst of darkness. Parables are not about something that will happen one day. It's about something that is happening in the here and now of our lives. And we're called to trust in Jesus in regards to that. Unfolding within us and among us. Right, right now, it's happening. happening. I mean, obviously for me, having been out of action for five or six weeks and have people calling in and some very kind people sending kind notes and kind cards and doing generous things. It's like, whoa, I feel the kingdom of God kind of at work here and amongst and within. And then I go, I'm going to watch the news, TV one. I'm not going to watch the news anymore. That doesn't feel like it's like, it's hard to spot it here and there, but within you and among you and around you, there, there's something breaking out. There's something happening, taking root, bearing fruit, bubbling away. So we're called to have faith and trust that the great love story of God isn't paused at the moment and will be picked up one day in the future, but is unraveling and unfolding and happening now amongst us, within us, in this life that we're living. So have great faith. Take great heart. The kingdom of God is breaking out. Pilate's just arrived in Jerusalem with three cohorts of troops. That's okay. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. <laughs> Russia's just invaded Ukraine and it feels hopeless and everything seems to be getting worse. Take a breath. It's all right. The kingdom of God's like a man scattering seed. Oh, really? Okay. 
Inflation is through the roof and the cost of living is out of control. Take heart, the kingdom of God is like a net thrown. Good, great. <laughs> the bills are endless. The business is going backwards. The finances don't add up. Did you know that the kingdom of God is like a great pearl? <laughs> I'm burnt out, feeling overwhelmed and defeated. <sighs> Be of good cheer. The kingdom of God is like yeast. This is what Jesus offers. This is what, this is what Jesus offers in regards to the kingdom of God. These metaphors, these stories, these illusions, that, that don't, don't, they're not whiteboards. They're not maps. It's not a strategic plan. It doesn't seem plausible yet. Our faith and trust is in Jesus and that the kingdom is happening. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that more in coming weeks. Because all of that is good news. The yeast and the throwing of a net and the pearl. It's all good. That's all good news. It's better news than you've just realized. Which is easy at the start of a series where it's like, I don't know quite how that actually is good news. So we'll, we'll, we'll journey mystery of the king Matthew 13 verse 31 to 32 another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it is grown is greater than the herbs or the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches we might unpack that down the track I'll, I'll make a little bit of commentary here how good is that you're stressed out on Tuesday at work, you watch the news at night, and that was zero inspiration. Uh, you fought with the neighbor, missed out on a trade me auction. One of the kids is coughing, and you know where that's heading. It's okay. The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. Oh, I, was, I was worried for a moment, but the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. I don't want to jump ahead, but one of the things we're going to notice is that the parables tend more to tell us what it's that what our assumption of what it is like is not what it's like um, which that happens a lot in the sermon of the mount you've heard it said I, I am jumping ahead now and i shouldn't do this but you've heard it said but i say unto you so you know jesus says you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i actually say unto you turn the other cheek if you think about that though it's not a great there's no great sense of, that's not an aha moment. That's not like, ah, the, the eye for an eye thing and the tooth for a tooth thing, we didn't get that. But now we turn the other cheek, there's a lot more clarity in that. That makes a lot more sense. That's a lot easier to know what to do on Tuesday with the intern. No, it's the eye for the eye bit and the tooth for a tooth bit, that actually kind of at least made sense. You know, you, one person in your village gets killed, it's like, go and kill one person from their village. Don't wipe out the whole village. That escalates. It's not good. Tone it down. So, so even the Old Testament is progress. Then Jesus says, no, actually an eye for an eye. Not an eye for an eye, but turn the other cheek. That's an invitation to mystery. That's not an invitation to clarity. It's not, what would Jesus do? I know. Oh, go for it. It's, it's not, it doesn't quite make sense there. So some of the parables are telling us it's not what you thought it is. Ah, okay. More than that telling you this is what it is. So is, there's a mystery to it. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, Ezekiel, Daniel, kingdoms are often referred to as cedar trees. You have the cedars of Lebanon. Kingdoms, empires are often re referred to as these great cedars. The birds will come and find their refuge in their space and the safety in these trees, in these great kingdoms. 
But on every occasion, the cedars are chopped down and destroyed and scattered and undone. Ultimately, they, they come to nothing. If Jesus was to do the parable properly, the kingdom of God is like a cedar tree, just a tiny little seed, but it grows up to be a mighty cedar, a mighty tree, and the, the birds will come and find it. People would have identified, people, ah, yes, yes, the kingdom of God will be like Syria and Babylon and Persia and Rome, but, but God will be in control of birds. It's like, Jesus doesn't go there. He goes with a mustard seed. It's not scientifically the smallest seed, but in the time and space of the moment, it's a, it's a tiny infinitesimal seed. And the tree that grows is it's bigger than the herbs and the vegetables, but it's not a cedar. It's, it's 10, 12, 14 foot tall. Birds find refuge in that. There's a mystery to that. There's something happening in that parable that is different to how we understand trees and where birds find their place. And yet the kingdom of God is more than a vegetable. It's more than just one meal. It is a place where you can find shelter and ongoing sustenance. But don't be fooled. It's not a great cedar of Lebanon. It's something else. It's something that looks different to that. Kingdom of God doesn't overthrow with violence. It sprouts within and grows and develops a subversive realignment in Christ. Of course, part of the parable is that the beginning might be um, unimpressive. But don't be put off by the day of small beginnings. We, we know that. We're familiar with that kind of life. That which is alive within you, among you, is hidden, perhaps unnoticed, ignored, easily overlooked. Sometimes it's easy to overlook that which God's been doing within you over the last 20 years. In the midst of the current storm or crisis or situation, it's easy to to forget what God's been doing within you and among you. There's, there's good things happening. But the rule and reign of God in your heart is a thing of substance and vitality that will hold you in good stead. There's, there's an internal cedar growing. There's an inter internal tree of great strength growing. Easily overlooked. Easily forgotten uh, I watched Ad Astra which is a slow moving space movie with Brad Pitt worth it all for the final commentary which I wrote down at the, at the end I wrote it down because it, it was quite moving uh, but one of the comments in regards to his dad who he finds oh, that's probably a spoiler um, he's been in space for 15 years kind of thing one of the problems was the dad has become so fixated on what is not there He's looking for aliens. So fixated on what is not there that he's lost sight of what is there. They're out in Neptune or something looking at some grand space vista, and it's phenomenal. And yet he, he, he can't see this phenomenal thing that they're looking at because the only thing he can see is that there's not aliens, which is what he's kind of looking for. So easy for us at times to be fixated on what is not present what can easily be overlooked, what we can't spot, that we, we miss the fact that, you know, within you, there's, there's this pretty impressive tree that's been growing for a long time. You need to keep cultivating that. That's going to hold you in good stead over the next 10 years. The beginning might be unimpressive, but don't be put off by the day of small beginnings. 
the rule and reign of God within you and amongst you is something of great substance that will hold you in good stead. Seeds are buried and hidden and unapparent, but eventually they spring forth. So you stressed that on Tuesday at work and you watched the news that night and there was zero inspiration and you did fight with the neighbor and you did miss out on that trade me option you were going for. And the kids are coughing and you know where that's heading. And it might be the case and, and worse besides as well. Nevertheless, the garden to city project is still unfolding. There's something of the kingdom of God within you and among you that has taken root, that is developing and growing, that will hold you in good stead. That work within you. In Nemo, we're encouraged to keep on swimming, keep on swimming, keep on swimming. Which is really Disney's way of saying, I don't know if Disney made it. Anyway, Dory's way of saying, Keep having faith. Keep having trust. Keep having faith. Keep having trust. What is faith? Faith is to trust. We're trusting in Jesus, but we're not trusting in Jesus just for tomorrow. We're trusting in Jesus that the Garden to City project is still happening, that we're a part of it, that it's happening within us and among us, and sometimes we'll see what that looks like externally, but it's subversive and it's unfolding. Just keep trusting. Keep, keep having faith. Have faith and trust and let that be the lenses that filter your view of life. Let faith and trust be the lenses that you, that you look through. How am I going to be in this situation? Well, the lenses I'm putting up are those of faith and trust that believes the kingdom of God is unfolding. The Garden to a City project is happening. The headlines on One Network News may be to the contrary, but there's, there's other things happening. There's other stories going on there's something different happening with my neighbor in our marriage there's something happening it's life-giving this is amazing i've got this friend we've been having these conversations i've been talking to that person from i feel like i've been reading this book and something's bubbling away i think god's doing something yeah the garden to a city project is unfolding so we're invited into faith and trust but all too often, that's not what we want to be invited into. We want to be invited into headquarters and the war room and to see the monitors and the whiteboard and the schematics and a map. That's what we want to be invited into. That's what the disciples were asking for. I'll sit on the left, you sit on the right. Secretary of State and Ministry of Defense or whatever position it was. Judas probably wanted the economy. But we're not invited into that room. I mean, Jesus says, don't ask when's the day, when's the hour, when's it happening? He's like, only my Father in heaven knows that. Jesus isn't even in the war room with the schematics and the graph and the timeline. He is, as the faithful image bearer, extending and putting his faith and trust in God, even unto death on the cross. And we're invited to do that as well. The parables telling us of the kingdom and inviting us into that. We'll unpack them in the coming weeks. Let's stand together this morning. I think if I was to try to sum up or offer or give one thought this morning, it's, it's simply that
The kingdom parables invite us to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And they invite us to believe that there's more going on than meets the eye. I know that's transformers, but it works. More than meets the eye. The invitation in regards to the kingdom of God is to, to have faith and to have trust and to believe in Jesus. In your family, in your relationships, in your workplace, in the people that you interact with with your friends, here in church, when we gather together, when we scatter. There's more going on than can be seen. There's more going on than meets the eye. But it's easy in this cultural moment to, all, to see all the things that are not and to miss all the things that are. To see all of the stresses and distresses and to, to fail to notice this friend that you have that's stood by you for 15 years that wants to pray with you and believe with you. It's like, oh man, I was so consumed with these headlines. I forgot that old mate's a legend and that's actually way more meaningful and engaging in life. So I want to encourage you as we begin to enter into these parables that are going to tell us the kingdom's not necessarily what we would like it to be or think it would be in light of other kingdoms. But nevertheless, it's an invitation to faith and trust. There's stuff happening, of course, that you can see and the response is, oh dear. But there's stuff happening that you can't see. And if you were to be able to see it, the response would be, oh yeah. Subtly different. Let me pray as we close this. As you go this morning, know that Christ, that in Christ you are a part of the great mystery. That is the kingdom of God breaking out on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom of love and justice and peace within and among you. As you go this morning, be confident that despite the hiddenness, the mystery, the peculiarity of the kingdom, it is the kingdom of the king who has conquered sin and death and is enthroned above all else. The kingdom of a king whose governance will be without end and where every tear will be wiped away where there will be no more crying or pain or death, and where the garden that has become a city will once again be the dwelling place of God with humanity. As you go this morning, go in the love and the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.